you guys ever, like, as kids, ran around in the dark? Anybody do that? We used to play, like, tag out in the dark, and you'd be running. And so I remember one time, um, I was uh, 12 or 13, and I'm taking off, and uh, I'm trying to get to base. And I'm, like, I'm super pumped. Like, I'm stoked. Full-on sprint. And I was a fast kid, um, and so, I don't know, I'm just booking it. And I'm looking back at the, the guy that's trying to catch me, and I'm like, man, he can't. He's got no chance. And, and all of a sudden, my legs were just cut out from underneath me um, because I ran into a rock that was like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle um, and just ate it across this sidewalk, jacked my face up. It was just awful, awful. And then I learned something that, that really when you're out in the dark like that, especially if you're running, you should probably, you should probably have a light, right? You should have something that illuminates your path, it, it makes it a lot less painful in the long run. And, and the reason I bring that up is because oftentimes, you know, we go full on in life, um, especially if you're like me. I am, I've said this before, I'm an all gas, no brakes kind of guy, right? Um, I'm redneck through and through, you know, like if you remember home improvement back in the 90s, like more power, <laughs> you know, like that, that's how I like to live. I mean, whatever it is. And so I have a hard time slowing down to, to read the instructions or um, to get wisdom from the people around me. I have a hard time listening to my beautiful wife when, when she tells me what an idiot I'm being. All of those things are incredibly difficult to me because deep down inside, I just want to run head on into things. That's what I want to do. And, and we do that in life so often, so often. And, and the sad part about that is every single one of us has been given a life. We've been given a roadmap. We've been given something to help us to stop running into those obstacles, right? I should have known that was there. I should have known. I seen it earlier that day, right? It's not like it grew out of the middle of nowhere. That thing had been present for years, but that didn't stop me from getting chopped right at the knees and face planting in the driveway. And we go through life on things that should be so obvious, right? We fall back into addiction, even though we've been alcoholics forever and, and our grandpa is alcoholic and all that, and then we're caught off guard. How'd I get this drinking problem? Well, dummy, it's been there the whole time, right? How'd I get in this situation with my marriage? You know, I was hanging out with all these divorced people and going to the club. I don't know why I cheated on my spouse. Well, yeah, it should be obvious, right? It's been there. And there's things in our life that have been there that we should see, but we refuse refuse to use the light that allows us to have an awareness of what's taking place. And when I talk about that, I'm reminded of Psalms 119, 105, and it says this, your word, say your word, your word is a lamp to guide my feet, a light for my path. Now, what word is that? Scripture, like God's word. You know, First John that we were in a couple weeks ago, you know, it opens up. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and when we look at our Bibles, right, that hopefully you have, and if you don't, we'd love to give you one. That, that's God's Word, and that's the Word, right? That's the Word that we read about right here that says, it's a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. It's one of those things that keeps us from getting knee chopped, right, that, that keeps us from stumbling that keeps us moving forward in a direction that, that not only pleases us, but pleases God. It helps grow us in our recovery, helps grow us in our lives. It is a lamp to guide my feet. It's a light for my path. And if you're running around in the dark, you know how indispensable a flashlight is. Yet we run through life and seldomly pick up God's word. I won't ask you guys to do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if I were to ask how many of you opened up your Bible this week at some point in time and just read a little bit of it, I would probably be disappointed. 
I'd probably be disappointed in me if I really looked back at how much I failed to do the same thing. If I asked how many of you participated in the bracket this week, I bet a lot of hands would go up, right, man? Yeah, man, how, many, how much time we spent watching ball games and watching our teams fail. But how many of you took time to, to light your path, to guide your feet, and to get some stability moving forward? And again, it says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. It's a light for my path. Tonight's message is titled this, by every word. Say every word. By every word. And what I want to talk about is having an immense love for God's word. But more than that, a recognition of its authenticity, a recognition of, of what it's meant to be in our lives, a recognition of what it's meant to do. I, I want you to leave here tonight with a desire to spend time with it. I want you to, to set down notions that you may have about it. I know me, I grew up with King James Bibles everywhere that didn't make a lick of sense, and they were so confusing. And it wasn't until later on that, that I learned, first off, there's a version of the Bible I can read out there. You know, it's like the, that's the, the simpleton version. I like it. You know, it's written on a third grade level. I love it, right? There, but there's something out there for me I, that, I, that I can understand. And if I can understand it, you can understand it too. And then there's a love for it, the way it impacts my life. And I know this as I read it, my marriage is better. The way I treat my children's better. The way I conduct myself, day in and day out, it's better. People like me more when I spend time in God's word. I'm just telling you, you guys get the version that, that I'm reading scripture at least a little bit. You don't want the other guy. But, and, and that's the same that's true for all of us because it lights our path. It illuminates where we're going. It does a work in us. When we talk about just bringing things to Jesus, some of you have been praying and, and waiting for God to speak to you. And he's trying to. But you got to spend time, you got to spend time listening. And in order to listen, you got to spend time reading and hearing what he has to say. I want to share with us as we open uh, out of Matthew 4. We're going to be starting in verse 1. Um, in Matthew, it's in the New Testament, right? It's the first book of the New Testament. It's what we call the Gospels. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And at the end of Matthew 3... Something spectacular is taking place. Like Jesus is coming on the scene. Like he's starting his ministry and he's just encountered his cousin, John, John the Baptist. And we're told that John the Baptist is a freaky guy. He likes to eat locusts and wear animal skins and um, probably like a lot of your cousins out there, right? Especially if you're from up north. And so here's John. He's out baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and Jesus comes up, and he declares, there he is. That's the Lamb of God, the one I've been preparing a way for, him, the Messiah. And Jesus steps into the river, and, and John baptizes him. And in that moment, heaven opens up, and the Spirit of God comes and rests upon Jesus. And a voice is heard saying, this is my dearly beloved son. This is my dear." And so Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. And from that moment... We pick up in Matthew 4, and it says this in verse 1. It says, it says uh, then, Jesus, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And so right here, Jesus is immediately 
He immediately encounters temptation. He immediately encounters his adversary, right? The same adversary that we all have. And the thing that he starts with is if you're the son of God, begins to, to take his identity, right? And, and, and try to confuse him and trip him up and, and try to take that away from him. But, but the truth is that this is a picture of what happens to us, right? We, we have an encounter with God. Maybe you come on a Sunday or a Monday, or you come to a, a men's conference or a women's conference, and, and you encounter God, and God speaks to you, right? You, you feel his presence. You have a moment like Jesus had in, in the Jordan where you feel overcome and overwhelmed, and then you step out into the wilderness, right? You walk out of these doors or maybe some other doors, and, and you're no longer with fellow believers. Maybe you go back to work or whatever it is, and the enemy begins just to, to touch those broken places. He begins to impact your secret sin, right? The, the hidden things in your life. And he says, that's not you. You're not really loved by God. You're not really set free. You're, you're too broken to live that way. You'll never be anything but an addict. And, and we encounter that and we have no rebuttal. We're not equipped. What do we say? I know for me, for so long, I had nothing. I had nothing to come back with. And I say, you're right. Oh, you're right. I could, never, I could never serve God. What was I thinking? I could never have a good life. I could never have the family that I want. You're right. I'll only ever be a drunk. That's what so many people in my family are. That's all I can amount to. But it wasn't true. And it wasn't until I began to carry that flashlight, right, where I could light up those dark places and, and say, that's bull crap. That's not me. That's not what God says, right, to begin to deal with the lies because he's going to come after you, and he does time and time again. If he came after the son of God, if he thought he was easy pickings, how much more is he going to come against us? And so Jesus encounters him in the wilderness. This is during that time the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And I like that. Right before this, Jesus became very hungry. And he said, hey, make these stones, loaves of bread. He even tempts him with what appears to be a good thing. Something that appeals to his flesh, right? His human nature. But Jesus told him. Say, but Jesus. But Jesus told him, no. No. The scriptures say. Say, scripture says. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word. Say every word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus is tempted to do something he shouldn't do. As Jesus is, is confronted about his identity, right? As he encounters his adversary, it's not physical strength that allows him to prevail. It's knowledge of God's word, right? He begins to illuminate that situation, he begins to light it up and say, no, scriptures say that it's by every word that I'm sustained. Scriptures say you're a liar. You're a cheat. You're a fraud. So scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I just can't, can't help to think back to how many times I encountered lies like this situations like this, and I wasn't prepared, I wasn't equipped, 
I wasn't able to stand against them. And I went right back to my sin, right back to my disobedience, right back to my addiction because I didn't have God's word in my heart. I didn't have the ability to stand up, to stand strong, knowing that I'm backed by the very word of God. I want us to do this. I want us to turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter is still in your New Testament. And I want us to start in chapter 1, verse 12. And and so Peter, he was one of Jesus' 12, but he was one of Jesus' inner circle, right? He was close to Jesus, friend of Jesus. He was a fisherman. He was a sinner. He was a broken person, but he loved God. He served God. And we know this because of God's word that that Peter failed repeatedly, that, that Peter denied Jesus, that he ran from his calling and in first, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. What things? The, the truth of the gospel, right? That, that, that message that, that he uses to impact us. It goes on and it says, for we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have Peter. He's doubling down on what he said. He said, we're not making up stories that, that, that what you read, what we have the opportunity to read today, we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majest, uh, majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Again, Peter's talking about that moment that that he was able to witness, right, that Jesus was, was baptized and declared to be the son of God. And it says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in this message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, say above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And I love just as we think about this because here's Peter and as he's writing this, He's facing immense persecution. And we know historically that that Peter lived, right? That Jesus lived, that these were real people. And the persecution they faced from Rome was real, that he risked his life to spread this message. Why would anybody do such a thing had it not been that they believed it to this degree, right? That above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from their own understanding, that this is God's word, that this is God's message, that Jesus was of God. Peter believed it to such a degree that he later allowed himself to be crucified as well and and actually demanded he be crucified upside down, that he gave his life in a simple 
I made it all up, could have spared him. And not only did Peter lay down his life for what we have here, what we see here, what we read here, but so did the others. All but one of the disciples were martyred and killed in horrific ways. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. And as they believed in Jesus, they believed in his, in his word, that they, they believed in scripture. We know that Jesus did, right? He even used it against Satan. He said, no scriptures say. Scriptures say. And so what I want you to know, that as we live by God's word, every word, that point number one is this. We have to believe in its authenticity. We've got to believe that it's authentic, that it's real. And it is. And I went through so much of my life thinking that, that that book that my grandma had, that it was about as useful as, as a fairy tale, right? That stories of Rapunzel or anything else I might read, Goldilocks, that they were all on the same level. And nothing could be further from the truth. That as we look at God's word, that what we're gifted with, what we have the opportunity and the ability to read, to look at, Right? To, to light up dark places in our lives, to deal with sin, to deal with addiction, to deal with broken places. It's not fable. It's fact. It's not made up. It's God's word, every word. And it breathes life into our dead and broken places. It, it allows us to come alive. It sets us free. It allows us to experience the gospel and the love of Jesus. And so again, point number one, living by God's words means believing in its authenticity. And so I want, I had a couple facts. I'm a facts guy. I love facts. I love numbers. Drives people around me crazy. Um, but I want you to know this. The Bible was composed by 40 writers on multiple continents over the span of 1,500 years. And, and over that time, with that many people involved, that it maintained consistency in story. And we know that it's, it's not disputed. Nobody's claiming that it was written all at once. But knowing that over such a broad time, huge generational gaps, cultural differences, that this was maintained. The Bible includes major moral failings of its heroes. Well, why does that matter? Well, if I'm writing a book about myself, I'm probably going to make myself look pretty dang good. I don't know about you. And this is what we know historically. If you read Greek mythology, right, anything like that, the heroes in those stories look great. Here we have Peter who gave his life, crucified upside down, looks like a complete moron through so much of the gospel, denying Jesus, failing to walk on water, running away from his calling. Why would he say that about himself? Again, if I'm making something up, I'm looking good, right? I'm 6'6", six, six, I'm built, I got lots of money. Never make a mistake, never. But, but Peter said, I'm broken. Without Jesus, I'm nothing, that I, that I need him. Why? Because this isn't crap. This is every word. This is God's word. And so we currently have 260,000 Hebrew manuscripts, 10,000 of which are biblical manuscripts. We have 
200 biblical manuscripts that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, hidden from church corruption, which may have occurred during the 2,000-year reign of the church. These were protected, and what we know is that these were buried and lost, and then the things that came out on the other side of a 2,000-year gap, they matched. Why? Because it wasn't changed, right? Because it's real. There are more than 5,600 ancient biblical manuscripts altogether, several from different authors from different times who had never even met, and the narrative still followed. There have been more than 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, which have been preserved in different parts of the world. There are 9,300 manuscripts that have been found in a variety of ancient languages, as well as 10,000 manuscripts found in Latin. Some of the ancient languages are Slavic, Coptic, Armenian, and Ethiopic. We have a total of 20,000 sources that help us to piece this all together. And you may be sitting there like, yeah, good for you. I mean, don't we have all of that on all the fables and, and all the things that, that are made up, right? Caesar's famous Gaelic War, that was 58 to 50 BC. We have nine to 10 copies of that that have been found. And that's presented to us as, as historical fact. But the world wants you to think that, that this overwhelming thing that we have tens of thousands of copies of over thousands of years that match is fable. Histories and annals of Tacius, we have two copies. Livy's Roman history, we have 20 copies. Pliny the Younger, we have seven copies. We have more evidence for Jesus' life, ministry, and miracles than we have for Alexander the Great. Yet one's taught in school as fact, and the other the world wants you to dismiss. One, we know, changes lives. We see it day in and day out. The other doesn't. And so we need to stop discounting God's word. We need to stop telling ourselves that we can pick and choose, that, that not every word comes from God or not every word is impactful to me. We need to believe it, that it's authentic. We need to believe that it's real. We need to realize that God gave us overwhelming evidence that, that every word was his and every word was meant to impact our lives, our walk, and our recovery. Again, point number one, living by God's word means believing in its authenticity. I want us to do this. I want us to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 as we look at point two. And so um, Timothy um, was like a disciple of Paul, right? Um, Paul loved him like a spiritual son. Paul was his spiritual father. Paul mentored him. You're like, who the heck is Paul? Well, Paul was this guy who had an encounter with Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, or Paul was going to, to murder Christians. Paul was a Pharisee, so he was justified in all of this. But as Paul was going on the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus. He's knocked off his horse. He's blinded by a bright light. Crazy stuff happens, and later he's prayed for, and he's healed, and he becomes a believer. And later he writes most of our New Testament. He starts church after church in Gentile regions. And so Timothy here is his spiritual son, and Paul's writing to him, helping him. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, 
One of my favorite passages in my entire Bible is this. It says, all scripture, say all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. So here we have Paul, New Testament, right, saying, hey, listen, all of it, even Leviticus, apparently, I don't know how that, it's inspired by God, right? The boring parts. All scripture is inspired by God. Guess what? Those parts that tell me to love my enemy, inspired by God. Those parts that that tell me to live a a pure life, right? To pursue righteousness, inspired by God. Those parts that, that tell me to love my wife, right? To sacrificially love her, even when she won't make me a sandwich. God says that that's inspired by God, right? All scripture is inspired by God. And if any of the feminists in here are getting upset, I make most of the dinner in our house, actually, right? I serve my wife well. But all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true. Say true. To teach us what is true. How bad do we need truth right now? Right? We're in a culture that says you define your own truth. How fluid is that? How the heck do you know which way's up and which way's down when every person you meet can define their own truth? And so the thing we need to realize is first, God's word's real. God's word's true. It reveals truth. It makes us realize what is wrong in our lives, right? We need God's word. We need it to begin to reveal to us truth. And the reason that God's word is attacked the way that it is, because if you take it away, nobody knows what truth is. Nobody knows what's right anymore. That, that it's just defined by whoever is loudest, whoever has the bigger platform, or whoever's the angriest. And Tim, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to help us to realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And as you come out of life broken, beaten, and battered, how important is it to have something that reveals truth to you, that that prepares you, that equips you, right, for good works, for good things. God's word is real. And point number two, we need to recognize that it's the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority. To say that the Bible is authoritative is to say that it holds the final word. Say final word. That, that means when it touches your sin, your broken place, that you're wrong, God's word's right. That, that you don't get to discount it. That, that keeps you far from God. That keeps you in, in broken places. That keeps you stuck and trapped. And we need to begin to recognize that it is the final word. And there's times in my own life where I want so badly to be able to discount this, to discredit this, because living this way can be hard. But I've got to remember that it's by every word, right? That that man's called to live by every word of God. And every word lifts me up. Every word prepares me and equips me. I have to spend time with it. I've got to learn to hear his voice through the pages. I've got to plant it in my heart. So when I'm out there in the wilderness and I encounter the enemy, I've got something to fight back with. And so again, living by God's word means recognizing it as the ultimate authority. 
I want us to do this as, as we begin to close tonight. Um, I want us to turn to James 1, 19. And so James was the half-brother of Jesus. And so I want to emphasize that James was the half-brother of Jesus. I have, I have four siblings. I can't even tell you how difficult it was to convince one of them that my life was changed by Jesus. I can't imagine how difficult it was for Jesus to convince his half-brother that he was the son of God, right? And if you've got siblings in here, you probably see that. How hard would it be? James later, he, he worked so hard to serve the church, to serve the mission of God, the mission of Jesus. And in James 1, verse 19, it says this, Understand this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This is one of those places that I really wish I could ignore, right? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Again, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. I'm gonna say that one more time. But don't just listen to God's word. You must, say must. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. The New King James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That if we show up in places like this and we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves followers, we, we declare that we're walking out our lives and our recovery different and we just hear God's word and we pick and choose, right, cherry pick and discount parts of it that may be hard or maybe we disagree with or maybe we don't want to work with right now, we're deceiving ourselves, right? I mean, again, he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. You haven't been deceived by the world. The enemy is not attacking you. And I love that. I hear so many people, they you know, talk about, man, the enemy's really coming after me. Is he? Or are you just lazy and you make no effort in walking out your faith, right? I mean, does he even have to? I mean, he's probably got better things to do. He's like, he's jacking his own life up enough, man. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this. I mean, he's not paying attention to anything anyways. He doesn't even know what God's word says. Again, but be doers of the word and not hearers. Only deceiving yourselves. And so living by God's word means this, humbling ourselves to its direction. Humbling ourselves to its direction. That means there's gonna be times in your life that you really wanna go left. And God says, no, I need you to go right. And you're gonna have to begin to humble yourselves and say, you know what, you're right. God may send somebody in your life that points out something that's taking place. And they say, this right here, this isn't right. And as you hold it up and examine it next to God's word, you'll find that they're right. And you're gonna have to deal with that. You're gonna have to change course. You're gonna have to set it down. There's likely something in your life right now that you know for a fact 
God says, you need to deal with that. And you refuse and you fall into this category. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourselves that, that God's word has the power to save your soul only if you allow it. You've got to begin to submit yourself to it. Humble yourself to its authority. Recognize its authenticity, right? Begin to follow its direction. And so he continues, James 1, verse 23 through 25. He says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing that. And so how many of you uh, looked in a mirror at some point today? And yeah, that's sad. I mean, more of you should care what you look like. Um, so me, you know, before I got up here, you know, I kind of made sure that the hair that I have left was in place to the best that it could be, right? I made sure nothing's on my face or my teeth. Um, I made sure that, you know, my fly was zipped because that's important if you're going to be up on stage in front of people, right? And, and, and I needed to know that, right, so that I'm presentable. What good would the mirror be if I looked at it and just looked away and just I didn't do anything, right? I didn't address any of those places on me, right? I didn't address my hair or, or my face or my clothes, and I just walked away and forgot all about it. Would that serve any purpose at all? None. None whatsoever, and we see people from time to time, right, that, that go through life that way. I have some teenagers, and sometimes I, I question, like, I ask my wife. I mean, we own a mirror, right? It's someplace in the house. I mean, why do our kids look like homeless orphans? I don't get it, right? Because they look in the mirror, and they go, yeah, it looks good, right? And they, they just walk away. We do that as Christians, right? Christians. We, we do that as followers of Jesus, right? When we read, we do our study, right? And, and we're in God's word. Maybe do the selfie for Instagram. Got to make sure people see it, right? Didn't happen unless it's posted on social media. And then we finish and we forget about all the places that God's word was supposed to touch. All, all the things he was supposed to deal with. We go right back to cussing, carrying on. We go right back to sexual sin. We watch trash. We listen to trash. We pe treat people like trash. And it doesn't do anything. Because we looked into the mirror of God's word. And, and even though God wanted us to use it to, to fix us right. I go back to, to Second Timothy 3.16. It's useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. It prepares and equips us for every good work. When it was supposed to do that, we treat it as a mirror and we walk away and forget what we saw. God, surely God wasn't dealing with that. Surely he doesn't care about that. Surely that doesn't apply to me. I'm certain that God's word's outdated. I mean, it was written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply now, right? That's made up. That was probably one of those parts that somebody just added later. Or that's something that God meant to take out. No, it's every word. Jesus declared it, every word. We live by every word. And as we're coming out of our broken places, right, as we're endeavoring to walk out recovery, to deal with addiction, to restore relationships, every word is important. 
every word applies, no matter how messy, how sticky, doesn't matter. It's by every word of God that we're meant to walk out this life. And it's by every word of God that we're healed, that we're sanctified, that we're restored. Every word of God is meant to reveal truth, to reveal brokenness, to build this back up and prepare and equip us for every good work. To recap tonight, point number one was this. Living by God's word means believing in its authenticity. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I really regret using such a big word when I'm so redneck. It's like such a struggle. Oh, should have said real, right? Believe it, it's real. Right? That's good, right? That's what I'm using next time. Recognizing it as the ultimate authority. That's what happens. I try to use a big word to pretend like I'm smart, and then I about jacked it up at least 12 times tonight. Recognizing it as the ultimate authority. And number three, humbling ourselves to its direction. That, that God's word is, is meant. i got something to reveal to you here. God's word is meant to make you uncomfortable. All right? And, and if you just read it and, and you've never once felt uncomfortable, you're not reading it right. Right? It, it's meant to make us squirm and, and be like, gosh, i got to change. I'm called to something better. I'm called to something different. And that's where we got to realize that it's real, that it's the real authority, and that it, it's the only direction to go. And so a couple steps tonight we've got for you. One, get a Bible. And here's the thing. If you're in here and you don't have one, I would love to give you a Bible. Okay, you, you don't have to leave here with that one. That's not an excuse. Or you can download the YouVersion Bible app. Either way, get God's word. Get God's word. Number two, read your Bible. Right? It's more, it's more than a coaster. Okay? All right? It, it's more than a, an accessory on your dash or on your desk. It's meant to be read. Read your Bible. Start in the Gospel of John. One, it's easy. Two, it's entertaining. Lots of miracles, right? God's showing up on scene. He's making things happen. It's really cool. Reveals, man, just the power of God and Jesus. And number three, submit yourself to its authority. Stop trying to be your own God. You make a lousy one, okay? Let God be God and let him speak to you through his word. Stop being stuck in addiction. Stop being stuck in brokenness. Allow God to begin a work in you. And he's going to begin speaking to you through his word, through his Bible. And so in all of this that we talk about, and God's word's important, but I'm just reminded, again, 1 John, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was Jesus. And so as important as our Bible is, right, to, to have the physical written word, it's so much more important to have the word inside of you, right? to have Jesus inside of you. And so if you're in here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're like, I, I'll be honest, I just thought it was all crap. And, and then you, you threw out facts and may, I'm convinced maybe this is legit or, or whatever it may be. And you're in here and you're, you're like, I'm ready. I've never done that. I've never accepted him. I never believed. And you're ready to make the greatest decision of your life, which is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. Here in just a moment, we're gonna have some people down front they would love to pray with you and for you and lead you into a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. And if you're in here and you've just gotten off track, right? You drifted. 
You didn't spend time in the word. You didn't spend time with God. And, and you became so far gone that you just didn't realize that there was even a way back home. And, and tonight you want to recommit. And you say, can I do that? Absolutely. And so if you want to do that tonight, our offer stands. Same for you. Here in just a moment, we're going to have some people down front. They would love to pray with you and for you so that you can come into a relationship with Jesus again. And then maybe God's just been dealing with something. There's something in your life that you know shouldn't be there. There's something in your life that you've refused to set down. You refuse to recognize whatever it is. And, and you know that tonight's the night that it's time to lay it at the foot of the cross. To allow God to heal that or to deal with that. What I want to offer to you is to, again, to step out of your seat. But to come down here and get one of these white chips. There's nothing special about those, right? That's plastic. But there's something impactful that takes place when we step out in faith, knowing that, that coming down this aisle in front of everybody, that God's going to honor that, that he's going to respond to that. That's significant. So I want to encourage you that if that's you tonight, to come down and get one of these white chips. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. You just want somebody to pray with you. And you want to know, will you just do that? Can somebody just pray over these broken things in my life, this pain, this feeling of just being lost? Absolutely. This is a house of prayer. And so for any of those things tonight, to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, to recommit, to get a, a white ship, or just to receive prayer, we want to encourage you to step out of your seat tonight and come down front. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.